Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 294 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is November 11th, 2013. We've got a big show for you talking about USC's big win over the California Golden Bears up there in the Bay Area. If you have any questions or comments, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. Or you can call us at 206-888-6755 or just go to peristylepodcast.com. You can leave a voicemail right from your computer. Click on the left side of the page. Leave us a voicemail and play it on the, we'll play it on the air and try our best to answer your question. Please keep those voicemails under a minute long. If they're longer than that, we're really not going to be able to play them on the show. we got Dan Weber coming up on the show a little bit later on. He'll be on our second segment. And Coach Harvey Hyde is here in the first segment, as always. What's up, Coach? How are you doing? Well, I'll tell you, everything's good, buddy. Uh, big week, big victory over Cal. You have about 24 hours to celebrate that. And then you got to get realistic again and get back to work. And uh, probably, uh, well, I'll tell you what. This coaching staff and these kids have rebounded from a coaching change and booing in the crowds and everything that's happened at USC to now bringing game day, game day to Southern California. What chance would you have thought five weeks ago game day would be in Southern California at the Coliseum for the Stanford-USC game? So my take my hats off to USC. Stanford, of course, with their victory over Oregon, now is in the driver's seat. And USC is in the spoiler seat. So, hey, how can it be any better than that? Pretty good. It's hard to beat that, Coach. Uh, before we jump into the show, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. You can go to sctickets.com or call them at 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for anything. I know it's going to be a hot ticket, USC Stanford this weekend. So if you want to go check that out, go to sctickets.com, and they can certainly help you out and uh coach you you had some some kind words to say about the trojans here's another here's a voicemail let's start off with this voicemail uh, a lot of usc fans are happy right now and it's understandable hello ryan coach harvey and dan uh this is ed duncan in the high desert uh, i didn't call last week <laughs> but i'm calling today to congratulate the men of troy boy they have looked great the last couple of weeks. It looked like the old USC Trojans. And so we want to really take our hat off to these brave young guys that have stuck with USC through all the turmoil that USC's been through. So we'll be pulling for them. I think the way they're playing right now, they very well could win out. I really think they got a good chance to beat Stanford and UCLA. So let's... Let's back them up and let's support them. We love them and fight on. Well, thank you. Uh, I think that's the uh, feeling of a lot of people as far as they can win out. And then a lot of people say, hey, one game at a time, one play at a time. Each play is the biggest play of the game, which I always say. And I always say, do what you do well and get better at it. 
I think this is what USC has done during the past several weeks. They have found themselves. They have an identity as a football team. They're having fun. They're playing with Coach Ed Orgeron's personality, which is, you know, uh, let's go out and, and be tough guys. Let's go out and have some pride and uh, jump in the foxhole with me, or let's go down that alley together. And that's what they've done. They have that attitude. They're playing like that as a football team, and they have his personality. You heard me, Bobby, use this example, Ryan, uh, on Sunday morning, if you were listening to the Trojan Brunch. I was, yes. I said, do you see any uh, Smokey the Bears, or do you see any Ranger hat guys with Coach Ed Orgeron after the football game protecting him? <laughs> do you see any of that? None of that. All these other guys have all these security guards and FBI agents and everybody following them around. Hey, Coach Ed Orgeron can take care of himself, and his team feels the same way. They're playing hard for him, and that's what it's all about. So, you know, the team is now at Orgeron's team. And remember, players, if they feel for the coach, play for the coach, but they want the coach to be successful. If you were to talk to any of those players on that football team, they want him to be the head football coach at USC. And I think that Coach – or I was going to call Coach Pat Hayden. I will. Pat Hayden has to make that determination – if Coach Ed Orgeron wins two of his next three games, I'm just saying two or three, everybody wants him to win three. I know that. But if he wins two of the three, how do you not give him the head coaching job? First of all, if you give him the head coaching job, a lot of these sophomores or juniors that could go out in the NFL would probably stay. Stay for Coach Ed Orgeron. You bring in a new coach, you're going to have a different attitude. They're going to think that, oh, my gosh, we did all this. He didn't get the job. This is if he wins two of the next three. Now, remember what I'm saying. And they'll go out. Just like Nicole Roby went out last year. Do you realize how, how, how much that hurt USC's secondary? With just Roby being out? Roby, yeah. huh? Yeah, with Roby being out. Yeah, just him. I mean, that would have taken care of that one corner. He'd have been an All-American this year. He'd have shorted up over there in that left corner spot, and he'd have been a high draft choice. Not that he isn't playing for the Buffalo Bills and having a great career, but you need to keep guys that are seasoned players. And uh, this is things you have to think about when you hire a new football coach. Not just, oh, this guy's got a great name. Well, these kids don't know who these guys are. Do you think they know who some of these kids are or these coaches are from Texas and other parts of the country? They don't, they've never heard of them. They don't, their high school coaches have never heard of them. So it's really important on how you handle with the success USC has had the hiring of your new head football coach. And I'm not trying to tell Pat Hayden how to do this. He knows all this, I'm sure. But I'm saying, telling all of you that they play with Coach Ed Orgeron's personality. They love him. They sell out for him. They play when they're injured for him. They, they want to go get dressed. They want to play in every game. Uh, I mean, what can you ask more at this time? I don't know. You get, uh, can't ask much more than what he's doing right now. And obviously this weekend is going to be a big test for Ed Orgeron and the whole staff. And we'll have to see how that uh, turns out, Coach. And I, I apologize. I forgot to mention at the top of the show. I wrote it down. I'm not sure why I missed this. Happy Veterans Day to everyone. So happy Veterans Day, everyone out there. Thank you, everyone who has served. And uh, we really appreciate it. We get a lot of vets emailing us in questions and stuff. So we really appreciate all of that. I agree with you 100%. That's where it's really at. 
Certainly. That's and I'll tell you, we can talk like we're talking today because of them. And I'll tell you, uh, I take my hat off to them. Uh, they are the best. They are the strongest number one team in the nation. I would never want to mess with any of them in any type of situation because they say, bring it on. Bring it on, and we're ready. And they defend this country, and congratulations to all of us as far as being in a country with these guys have served for, and, and I take my hat off to all of them too. But I tell you, I jump in a foxhole with them. You certainly would, yes. I don't know. I'm, I might be a little scared of that, but I, <laughs> I'd rather have them <laughs> protected. My you're not going to be scared when you're with those guys. <laughs> those guys can get it done. I'll tell you, they'll cover a kickoff for you. They'll do whatever it takes to do. They're playing a different game. They're not. They don't keep score. So we, all right, well, Coach, thanks for those sentiments, and uh, well put, and thanks to all the veterans out there. And so I just want to let people know, you know, we want we appreciate the veterans. So happy Veterans Day, and hope you uh, smile at any veterans that you know, or drop on an email or something. And uh, I, have, I have a couple friends that I know that that served early in the wars, and I want to email them today. It just reminds me to do that. Um, I want to thank uh, Coach, and he's on Twitter now. I just want to let people know. At Coach Harvey Hyde, if you want to follow him on Twitter, you can follow me at Inside Troy. So I wanted to, to get that out there as well. Uh, Coach, you've been having fun with the whole Twitter thing, huh? I have really had fun. You know, I'm giving out hoodies now. I heard and, about that, yes. Yeah, have you got a hoodie yet? I have not, no. <laughs> well, when you come, uh, you're going to be doing a show with me this Thursday. When you come to the Sotobella Pizzeria in Pasadena, I'm going to give you a hoodie, okay? Uh, awesome. Thanks, Coach. And if your wife comes too, I'll give her a hoodie. And uh, on the Twitter account that I do, I, I do it on Sundays, uh, I say the 10th person that uh, joins me on Twitter will get a hoodie. And I've been sending them out, and the people are uh, tweeting me back saying, hey, it fits perfectly. Thank you, Coach. It says on it, you know, Coach Harvey Hyde, Sports Topics, huddle up and buckle up the fastest <laughs> hour in radio. And uh, they're nice. And uh, uh, so you can follow me at Coach Harvey Hyde, at Coach Harvey Hyde, and maybe one of these days, we'll we'll give away one here if you can figure out how we do it. Yeah, we could do that. That'd be great. Um, certainly, we you know we'll we'll talk about that, coach, offline, and, and we can uh, have people write in or tweet in, uh, listen to the podcast, and uh, that'd be great. Yeah, or or if they have the question of the week, we like their question, then we send them a a hoodie. I lo- okay, that sounds good too. All right, okay. we'll, we'll, go, we'll go with that. So. Uh, when you email your questions in, podcast at uscfootball.com, tell us you want to be submitted for question of the week. All right? So put that in there for Coach Harvey Hyde. Question for Coach Harvey Hyde. You want it to be a question of the week, and we'll uh, we'll pick one next week and have Coach Harvey Hyde give away a hoodie. So that'll be fun. Um, Gene in, the or- in Orange County had a question. He says he's very impressed with Coach Orgeron. And I think if we could hire an offensive coordinator who could teach the wide-open spread offense used by so many successful teams, coupled with Coach O., that might be a perfect answer, and we would not need to seek out a new coach. It seems like a good offense. The good offenses are made with the offensive coordinator and not necessarily the head coach. Fight on Trojans. Can't wait for your Monday shows. That's Gene in Orange County. Well, Gene, uh, first things first. First things you've got to uh, get through this season, and you've got to remember what personnel you have on campus with the current kids that are in school. You've got Max Brown and you've got – Cody Kessler, and you have uh, Max, Max Wittick, and, and they are not spread at quarterbacks. They could be if you ran it a certain way, but they're not the running threat that a lot of these quarterbacks are as far as keeping the ball or running the option and so on. So you have to think about 
you know, what you can do best with the personnel you have. And a lot of times guys come in and they say, we're going to run this offense. And, they, and all of a sudden, you know, you don't have the personnel for that offense, and you end up losing. You've got to look at the talent you have. You have great running backs there right now at USC. You want to make sure you utilize that talent. You have great receivers. Your offensive line is starting to play better, uh, getting a little bit more physical. During this off season. I would see them going in the weight room, these guys, and really getting powerful and strong. Bulk these guys up where they have, you know, BBs, man, in, in their cereal. Uh, you know, we get them ready to play, not brown sugar, but put some BBs in there where these guys are shoot bullets. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, and then you can knock the people off the ball. Uh, if you people watch Alabama, Alabama has adopted and changed their offense to fit their personnel and to beat people. Uh, that is what you have to look at. Uh, as a head football coach, when I went into UNLV or Pasadena City College or wherever I went, I said, what do we have here? Let's evaluate all the talent and find out what we can run. So all of a sudden you can't go in there and run an offense that doesn't fit your personnel. So you always want to take advantage of your talent. But your talent is what makes you a great coach, not necessarily the formation you run. Now you can recruit to the new formation in the future years, but you better utilize what you have on campus, both offensively and defensively, that can fit your uh, personnel. But your personnel is what wins for you. All you do is coach them up to the best of your ability. The players make football programs. Players, a lot of times people think it's coaches. Well, coaches take an average player, and he's, still, he's an average coach. I don't care what offense you run. Coaches take great players, and they have the potential to be a great coach. Uh, you take Nick Saban and put him at a school that doesn't have great players, he's not going to win. So when you have great players, then I always used to say, and I still say, don't screw them up. Put them in a position where they can be successful. Don't overload their brain. Make it simple. Make it fun. Keep them aggressive. And uh, I think that's the best way to go. So I'm not advocating they change their offense. I'm saying take advantage of the personnel that is at USC and utilize that to the utmost. Uh, all right, let's see. Larry and Walnut Creek had a question. So during the first uh, score for Cal, the Cal receiver was catching the ball and looked like he was out of bounds, not having replay available. Can you tell us if the pass was completed inbounds? Uh, generically speaking, what is the strategy concerning challenging challenging a play in which you already have 14 points up and looking to crush the opponent? Is the strategy significantly different? than in a predicted close game. That's Larry and Walnut Creek. And I, I don't remember the play he's talking about. I don't know if you do, Coach, but they're a questionable call, I guess, in the on that that first Cal scoring drive. Right. It was Lawler. Uh, they ran an out route, and he was juggling the, the football. I think this is the one he's talking about. And, and if he had both feet in bounds and if he had control of the ball uh, before he, you know, he had control of it uh, before uh, uh, he went out of bounds. And uh, I think they did instant or challenge it, and uh, or they looked at it again, and they gave them the, the football. They said it was a completed pass. Well, you know, when it's early in the game, you know, that game was 21-14 at one time. I want to remind everybody, in the second quarter, 
they closed the gap on that game. And if Aguilar hadn't run that touchdown back, making it 28-14, I was starting to sweat bullets a little bit because the momentum of the game was starting to change a little bit. The crowd was getting back into the game. So you challenge whenever you think you are right. And I'm sure someone from the box called down to uh, Ed Orgeron. If he challenged it, I can't remember if he challenged it or the official said we want to replay it and look at it. And you challenge it if the guy up the front has uh, upstairs has a camera in front of him and sees it, because that game's a close football game right then. So that game didn't get blown out till a little bit later on halftime. Yes, it was a done deal, but right then it was uh, early in the game. If you remember Ryan and everybody listening, it was 21-14 at one time, and it was getting the momentum of the game was changing a bit. No, it certainly was. It changed and. Uh... Yeah, I can't remember that specific play. I'll have to go back and uh, take a look at the tape. But if there was a challenge or uh, if USC challenged it and stuff. But, you know, they've been doing a a better job, I think, in college football now where most of them, you don't have to challenge them. If it's going to be overturned, they they usually take a look at it. Yeah, they do. I think they do a good job at that. I agree. Uh, All right, let's see. We had uh, Ben have a question. Uh, We get this – I think we get this fairly often, but – uh, with four wide receivers that are healthy, besides Marquise Lee, what do you think about the idea of having Lee play cornerback and not wide receiver against Stanford? I think that might be more problematic for Stanford than his playing wide receiver. From what, and also from what you saw of Isaac, do you think he and Allen can make the, the running back position work against Stanford? Well, uh, you're too far into the season. You're not going to put Lee on defense. Uh, he's going to stay right where he is and cause them problems on offense, but you have to defend him. Uh, they have a great defensive football team, uh, and it'll be, you know, they're not afraid of Lee. They're not afraid of anybody. If you look at those guys, they've played the best, and they like playing that way in a very physical football team. Uh, I do agree that they have to shore, shore up shore up that, that corner spot. They can't let Montgomery go crazy on them. Montgomery's an outstanding athlete. And they and they got to be able to take him out of the game, not out of the game, but limit him to his catches. And uh, I think that uh, especially if they're going to blitz some on on them, uh, they can't play man. They can't play man on him. He's just too good of an athlete. So uh, now you got to leave him in offense. Now it's towards the end of the season. You have three games left. Lay him over there. He's not ready. His shoulders aren't ready to tackle. Uh, he's been injured, so let him come back and play offense to where he is. And, yes, they do have receivers that are getting healthy now. Utilize them. Uh, uh, I've been very happy with the way they played. Florida, he caught a nice pass. Receivers uh, are blocking exceptionally well. Uh, if you watch the tapes, Ryan or people, when you watch the game, the reason they're being able to make these big, long runs, Allen, Isaac, and these guys, are the receivers, when you get to the second level, the receivers are really blocking well for the tight ends downfield. So when that happens, these guys are able to make a move, set up their blocks, and make big plays. So uh, I think you leave everything alone at this time. You just figure out defensively how you plan on stopping uh, Stanford's passing game, which isn't what it was a year ago. Stanford offensively isn't as good as what it was a year ago. I mean, I don't want to get into that now. We're not talking about Stanford. I could break that all down, too, in another show. But, uh, uh, no, I wouldn't move him over whatsoever, not so ever. And as far as uh, uh, Isaac and, and uh, Allen, 
uh, Buck Allen, uh, uh, if he carried the ball 40 times a game, would make you forget about other backs in the country. This kid's a real stud. This kid has great speed. This kid is tough. He breaks arm tackles. He is a tremendous prospect. He really is. And when you consider how he got the opportunity to play, losing Justin Davis, D.J. Morgan, Troy Madden, and Isaac now getting an opportunity to play, it's amazing at the depth that USC has at running back. And all along we've been talking about run the football, run the football, be who you are, be who you are. Don't do something you're not supposed to do. And now that's being developed. And it's made the passing game better. Heck, uh, Cody Kelsey's 14 for 17 for 170 yards. They didn't need to throw anymore. Was it just up front beating people and running the football? I mean, you have Allen scores three, Isaac scores two. You get two on special teams or three on special teams. Uh, you know, you want to be good at everything. And one thing USC has become now, Ryan, is a big play offense, a big play team. Because when you have great players that are skilled, you look for big plays. And if you remember, they weren't getting big plays. No big plays. So now they're starting to get big plays, home runs. They're getting up on people, forcing people out of their game to try to catch up. And this is what's helping the, the Trojans because they run the football. When they can dominate the game and run the football up front, people don't have the football. So uh, I think they're doing what they should be doing, and it's too late to move him back or move him over the defensive coordinator so you go what you got. Defensive coordinator, yeah, Mark Easley. So I think you just <laughs> go what you got. And you know what you do? You just get better at it. Just get better at what you're doing. Uh, good point. Yeah, the defense is going to look a lot different this week, too, because uh, they, they played mostly nickel uh, last week against Cal. You're talking about Stanford. It's more of a power team. Uh, they're going to have to use the five uh, down linemen like they were doing earlier in the year uh, with some of the non-spread teams. But, you, you know, Leonard Williams will have to be back in there. So I expect more of a front to look like, uh, you know, Woods in the center, Williams and uh, Uko next to him, and then uh, Kennard and Tavai. Uh, on the outside. So more of that, that five-man, the five-two-ish look, as opposed to having an extra safety in there. I think against Stanford, they'll probably do that a little bit more. So it might help out in the secondary a little bit. You have one extra body to kind of to move around in there. But I agree with you, Coach. I, I just think at this point, I mean, Marcus Lee only had one catch against Cal. Um, it wasn't like he was making a huge contribution there, but you need him. He's going to make his biggest impact as a receiver. And, and who knows, this might be his breakout game of the season. We'll have to wait and see, but I think he's, he's more capable of making a big contribution on the offensive side of the ball than switching positions in, in one week in the middle of a season and trying to play defense. I agree. Uh, all right. Well, let's see. I uh, wanted to, that's one more question that I wanted to ask you a little bit about Stanford too. Um, Al wrote in, I hear that coach O might not get the head coaching job because USC is such a high profile school and they need to play, need to hire a high profile coach. What does that mean anyway? Don't these high-profile players want to play and play hard for him? Wasn't he the recruiter of the year more than once? Kids love him, and parents must love him also. He's a great motivator, and he believes in his players, and it shows. Isn't that what we want in a perfect coach? That's from Al. Al, uh, it's true. He's been in every parent's home that's on that football team. When you're the recruiting coordinator, they all know who Coach O is. 
he goes and takes the head coach with him to all the home visits. He's the one that talks to him on the telephones along with their position coaches and area coaches that recruit that area. And uh, he is known everywhere. No matter where he's been, he's been known for his recruiting, his personality, who he is. And uh, I say this, uh, when they hired Pete Carroll, Pete Carroll came in here and uh, he wasn't a big-name coach that everybody wanted at SC. I mean, he was the fourth or fifth choice, but he came in and he got it done. And, you know, what you're doing is Coach O is auditioning or interviewing for this coaching position. Now, after eight weeks, if he's successful as what he's doing, what more does he need to do? Now, of course, he'll brush up on a lot of things that head coaches do. He might make some coaching changes. He might change around the way he does things. But this is part of being a head football coach. And uh, But right now, what he's doing and how he's acting is exactly what USC football needs. They've made a complete change in their personality. And their personality is this type of personality that SC people like. They like to go out, have fun, go to the game, tailgate, and expect to be in the game and kick somebody's butt. Okay. Well, you know, there's no guarantees you go outside and you hire somebody that's better than Coach O. I mean, I mean, you know, yeah, I can throw names out there, but I'm not going to. Uh, this is an on-site interview where kids now are telling recruits, come here. But can you imagine this group of players when they go and recruit if Coach O becomes the head football coach? These kids will come on campus and they'll overwhelm recruits. Overwhelm them. They'll they'll say, if you don't come here, you're crazy. This is we got it going on. Coach O's the best. We got this. We got that. You don't have to tell them what to say. They're going to recruit. So there's a lot of things. Now a new coach comes on. What are they going to say about the new coach? These players. First of all, they're going to be upset and hurt because Coach O's gone. They're going to ask these guys to host players. Now, are they going to host them with the same attitude they would have if Coach O was a head football coach? Think of all of these things before you make a decision to hire a head football coach. There's a lot of things behind the scenes that you don't think about. You just look at the record. Not that the record's not important, but I'm saying if he wins two of his next three football games, it's very difficult to convince me, convince the players on the team, and maybe you listeners that he shouldn't be the head football coach at USC. But there's no transition. You just keep going. You don't stop. There's a new staff coming in and cleaning out the desk and who's staying and who's not staying and the player's unhappy. There's none of that. So I say be careful, USC. Make sure you make the right choice on who you hire. And if you hire someone, and you don't take Coach O, there's no guarantee Coach O will stay. Don't think there's a guarantee he'll stay. He may go out and get another head coaching job, or he may feel like, hey, my family lives in Louisiana. I've been sacrificing here. If he gets a head job, his family's coming here. I'm going to tell you that. So there's no guarantees he'll stay, and that'll be another shocker and a big loss to USC Trojan football. Uh, great stuff there, Coach. And there's one last thing for you. I wanted to get your, your early thoughts here on the USC-Stanford uh, game. 
you know, Stanford top five team just came off a big win over Oregon on Thursday night. Um, USC certainly playing better. Uh, USC has not had success against Stanford over the last several years. Uh, what are your early thoughts on this game? Stanford's coming to Southern California. They're coming to your stadium, the Coliseum, you know. Uh, what happened in the past doesn't have a thing to do with what's happening Saturday. If you remember, everyone was talking about the ghost in Oregon State Stadium in Corvallis. Well, they went up there and proved the ghost must be gone. Uh, a stadium is a stadium. A football field is a football field. It's the same size wherever you play. In the Coliseum, they're coming to the Coliseum to play USC. It's a different day. They both saw each other to play last week. They both watched the games of each other playing. Stanford, of course, is an excellent football team, and uh, they are not intimidated as far as playing anybody. And uh, they have built this up because they have a lot of seniors, redshirt seniors, and it's amazing how they could collect at one time, and this is what makes them so good. So many strong, big, fast kids offensively and defensively in the front sevens and the offensive line at one time at one university where they can dominate like they do. and They've been able to do that. USC has to gather uh, its forces. USC has to uh, meet the challenge. Uh, and I don't think that Stanford has played a team, except for Arizona State, that matches uh, FC as far as speed-wise. But I want everyone to realize, don't use comparative scores, but FC is not the same football team that played Arizona State. It's not the same football team right now that played Notre Dame. It's a different football team that's getting better every single week, and that's what they're going to try to do this week, work on techniques and get better. Now, they have a tremendous challenge in playing Stanford. They're ranked fourth or fifth in the country. They're, they're dominant. They've learned how to win at Stanford. They've been to three or four straight BCS Bowl games. They have this confidence that we're going to find a way to win, and they do that. But it's not to say SC has great tradition and great athletes. They have great athletes. And what did I tell you earlier in the show? You've got to have great athletes to win, and SC has great athletes who can hit the home run, and they're getting big plays now. Big plays. Well, Stanford can get big plays but not as easily that USC can hit big plays. They're more of a power play team. They've got to stop the power and the power uh, uh, sweep that they run as far as pull the guard and all of that and the play-action pass, which is not an easy thing to do, but they don't have to stop a lot of things. What they do is Stanford runs very few things, but they run them well. So and they execute, and they're confident. So it's going to be a great football game. It's going to be a game where you don't want to slug it out with them. You want to get ahead of them. Because if you don't get ahead of them, they're going to go to that ball control offense they did against Oregon. Now, it would have been a different football game against Oregon. If Oregon would have scored the first time, uh, Marietta underthrew the receiver on that one, and fourth down, they didn't make it. It would have been a whole different game if Oregon would have been ahead of Stanford. whole different game. Stanford couldn't have played the type of football they played because Oregon was up in front of them, and they would have had to get some points. So you don't want to let Stanford get up on you, because they'll go to that ball control type of offense, all power, double tight, wing, and and run the clock on you. 
So I think it's going to be a great game. Uh, I think SC will get some big plays. I think it'll be one of those two that type of games you bring your lunch, I'll bring my lunch, and we'll make this an all-day affair if we have to. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And I think, uh, well, what do the odd makers think? Three-and-a-half point, three-point favorite, Stanford, the number four team in the country over a team that's hardly ranked. Someone knows something. And when it's three points, that means anyone can win. So I think that's the best way to get everybody fired up for it. All right, Coach. Thanks again. Uh, appreciate you coming on the show. Lots of great stuff there. And uh, thanks again to all the veterans out there. Happy Veterans Day. And, Coach, I guess we'll uh, we'll talk to you again next week. I hope so. I'll see you Thursday, buddy. Oh, that sounds good. Make sure good. you figure out a way next week, all of you out there, where if we select your question as the best question, you'll get a Harvey Hyde hoodie. And I'm going to tell you, you better wear it with pride, too. Wear it with pride. <laughs> I don't want to be embarrassed. They might think it's me. Okay? Awesome. So send those emails in, podcast at uscfootball.com. Let us know you want a Harvey Hyde hoodie and give us a good question. If you have the best, then we will send you one. Coach Harvey Hyde will give you all that information and stuff. And we'll, we'll talk about that next week. And thanks but they again. have to join my Twitter to do that. Oh, okay. You have to follow Coach Harvey yeah. Hyde on Twitter, at Coach Harvey Hyde. You're right. The guy does always give a little, get a little bit. You know how that works. <laughs> Awesome. All right. Well, thanks again, Coach, and everyone else back in a minute or so. We're going to talk to uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Fight on, Trojan fans. We're all very excited about this season. My name is Louis Tangay, and I'm the managing director of Circle Marketing. Like USC, Circle Marketing has a long track record of success. Ours hasn't been on the football field, though. We have been very successful in helping the small businesses of America get the kind of marketing strategy and support previously only affordable by large companies. For example, by going to circlemarketing.com, you can view our portfolio, read our case studies, and see how we were able to increase business by 90%, grow social media followings by 10 times what it was when we started, and how our websites and marketing strategies have helped our small businesses reach and exceed all of their marketing goals time and time again so come visit circlemarketing.com today read our case studies and testimonials and see what we've done for other small businesses like yours then contact us and find out what we can do to help your small business too circle marketing the company that fights on for your small business we're back here on the peristyle podcast have uscfootball.com beat writer dan weber joining us he spent the weekend up in the bay area uh, where USC beat Berkeley, sixty-two to twenty-eight. What's going on, Dan? How you doing? Pretty good. Had a good, uh, good weekend. Always um, interesting game. The way they develop at, at Cal, something happens that you're not looking forward to. The numbers very often get go in a you know a different you know different direction. A uh, lovely three hundred and sixty million dollar press box and private suites they've got there. Uh, the, the amazing thing, it was a great day, and I'm guessing there were 10,000 USC fans there. Uh, they had a, had a wonderful time. Uh, but uh, the amazing thing is the stadium looks almost untouched, you know, outside the little cosmetics and you know, some better better steps and what have you. But you get inside, and it's, uh, it's uh, Memorial Stadium the way you always remember it. Uh, and the game yeah. turned out. The game turned out kind of like, uh, you know, if I'm a Cal fan, thinking, man, not this again. And they tend to all go in one direction. Interesting. Yeah, I, I saw your your post on that that the stadium wasn't all that different. I know they spent a lot of money on it, but at least you have a roof over your head in the press box now. 
No, we for us it's great. It's the greatest uh, 300. You know, really, it's a basically a 360 million dollar press box and private suites on the one side, uh, and they put some chairbacks on that side. But and you know, the, obviously, then they tied in the lockers with the um, with the football building. It's like if you took the McKay Center and uh, and turned it into a curved building, uh, a couple of stories high, and then attached it to the outside of the stadium. So that's where their their football building. So that enabled you to have a you know post game uh, media room and and uh, you know plenty of room. Last you know uh, used to be you almost pretty much had to do the post game interviews outside the stadium. There just wasn't any room. Uh, so. So that part of it's nice. It, again, it took the parking dro- parking lot from like seventy cars to two cars. So uh, <laughs> yeah, everybody walks in. Nobody, uh, there's no parking for anybody, basically at the stadium. But uh, yeah, it's and it's kind of a neat old stadium. I mean, it's a great place to watch a football game. I mean, there is no uh, there's no better better sight lines and close to the field and no track and. And honestly, I it's been a long time since you remember the USC crowd having that much fun at the game. And it's a neat one because they bring the whole band and, uh, you know, they're right in the middle of the – and I think uh, last I counted, there were USC fans in like 16 sections of, of the stadium. It was uh, it was pretty much, uh, uh, you know, a good day for, for USC folks. Uh, good day for Ed Orgeron, too, and we'll start off with a voicemail question uh, about that subject right here. Here you go. Hi, Ryan. Uh, my name is Al from Pennsylvania. Uh, I was just thinking back on when SC lost to Notre Dame and the camera uh, panned a shot to Coach Orgeron on the sideline. He looked genuinely upset and sad. And I thought to my, told my wife, I said, he looks like he's upset that he let the players down. And... You could just see the passion in this guy. I mean, I've been a USC fan since since uh, Mike Battle was a defensive back there in the early '60s, mid '60s, and uh, I've always ups- I was upset when SC would lose, would lose, but I never cared how the coach felt. I was ups- I was sad that he was sad. I'm just saying this guy is special. Truly, this is a special coach, and um, we have something special there, and we shouldn't let it go. Uh, that's it. Uh, really interesting observation, Al, because actually, after the Notre Dame game, uh, in all the, what, 12, 13 years I've been covering USC football, that was the most upset I've ever seen a USC team and its players for letting their coach down. That was the, the consistent emotion after that game is, how disappointed, how sad they were that they let Coach O down and that they they knew they should have won that game for him and it was on them. And uh, interesting that you would see it the other way around. Uh, I know it mattered a lot. I know it was a big motivator uh, in terms of going to Oregon State. You know, that was the – the way they looked at the Oregon State game, the way Coach O framed it for them is, we got it wrong going on the road at Notre Dame. Let's get it right this time. Uh, but um, it, was a, it was a kind of a personal thing. And this is, you know, he'd hardly been the, been the coach, uh, you know, 
second game and how much they wanted to win for him. But uh, but you're right. It was they kind of took it personally. He took it personally. They took it personally. And uh, you know they've addressed it in two other road games since then. But uh, but uh, you make a really good point. Um, Stephen Poway had a question and something that I was actually tweeting about during the game that was a concern. He said, this is the second week in a row that USC coaches put in Ty, Ty Isaac for the first series, A, following an excellent series by Buck Allen, and B, when USC had extremely poor field position. Uh, it also marks the second week in a row that USC then turned the ball over to the opponent after you know going three and out, uh, giving the opponent excellent field position and letting Cal back into the game after they scored. That's uh, Stephen Poway. About the, the, I, I was questioning the rotation back there. Too, I, I think Ty Isaac should have been in the game, but I think the situations where he first got brought in, both of them weren't really favorable ones. Yeah, and, and whether that's uh, unfavorable to Ty or unfavorable to the team, I, I think I'm more on the side of uh, I just wouldn't necessarily want to put him in in that situation. However, if you look the way the game played out, the idea that he's a full-time guy, he's not a rookie uh, we're going to put you in wherever the rotation calls for it. Okay, we should have had really good field position, but we ended up with a penalty on the kickoff with really bad field position. You're still our guy. That's the plan. Uh, we're not pulling you because you're a rookie. We're not pulling you because we don't think you're ready. It turns out you're, at that point, you're Ty Isaac. You're our other tailback. It's you and Buck. By that time, uh, Silas was on the on the trainer's table with ice pack on his knee. So the payoff then, though, is if you look at the second half and a couple of touchdowns and the, and the uh, increased uh, confidence level and increased comfort level of being in the game, maybe that's the penalty you pay. I certainly, you know, kind of questioned it myself in the, in the live from the press box stuff that, boy, this is, you know, there may be times you don't want to do this. However, you know, there is, that is a way of, of maturing a kid, you know, right before your eyes. You know, by the end of the game, Ty Isaac was not the same running back as he was going into that game. And so is that how you, you mature him and harden him by, um, by what he did in that game? I don't know. He was, uh, you know, it's like telling him, though, you're not a rookie. We're not going to baby you. We're going to expect you to be, uh, you know, you and Buck. You're going to share this, uh, and that may be the case this week. It may be uh, maybe just uh, Ty, Isaac, and Buck. So every time they put you in against Stanford, it's like being backed up at, at the goal line against um, against Cal. So, you know, it's one of those things I think we could talk about all day and, and you know, just say, yep, uh, that's a tough deal. Yep, it didn't work out so well on that series, but uh, – worked out pretty well later. So, I don't know. I think the, 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 um, the respect that Tommy Robinson shows for his running backs and the way that's rewarded is pretty special. So, I, I think in the, um, in the short term, you could say, I'm kind of second-guessing that. In the long term, you can say, dang on, that, thing, that seems to be working. All right, uh, let's move on. There was another concern, and uh, I shared this one as well. Uh, Ron Green and Gene and the OC both wrote in about the kicking game. Obviously, USC special teams had done well uh, with a couple of, you know, three punt returns for a touchdown, a you know, partially blocked punt. Um, 
but I think I think the concern most people have wrote uh, Gene and, and Ron have, have wrote about this, and other people have is as well. Uh, obviously, the kicking game with a, you have a scholarship kicker with Andre Hidari who's been cut up and down. And one I've been kind of harping on on Twitter for a while is the the punt game where uh, Chris Alvarado certainly does has been doing a great job when they're near midfield and they can put punt it inside the twenty. He's been excellent at doing that, better than just about anybody. But the concern is more when USC is deep in their own territory, not able to get out a booming punt to kind of flip the field position. It seems like you're still getting that 34, 35-yard punt instead of something, you know, 48 yards where you put the, you know, at least give the other team, you know, you're not leaving the other team at midfield. So I wanted to get your concerns on the specialty player situation, the kicker and the punter. Yeah, I don't know if uh... – uh, we don't see a lot of those punts where he really turns the thing over. I mean, you do occasionally, uh, and I don't know, is that what you give up when you, um, when you do really, really do the directional and the uh, you know, non-touchback punting well? Are you giving up uh, the idea of uh, when you're punting deep in your own territory, you're just not going to be able to boom the ball? Uh, some of that probably is, the desire not to outkick the coverage and give them the kind of returns USC gave up. Uh, we don't see that much. Uh, so, uh, you know, at times you'd like to see him turn it over. I, I really don't know if, we, if you do the math, you know, and, and you don't get any, you know, uh, touchbacks and he isn't booming the ball into the end zone uh, and you do get those extra yards. Is uh, you know the the ten extra yards you get from you know knocking it out of bounds on the ten instead of uh, into the end zone uh, made up for when you um, you're kicking from your own twenty and you only kick it out to the you know the other team's forty five. Uh, I don't know. That's a, I mean, that's a good question. I think it's it's worth uh, worth worth thinking about. I'm not sure. You know, you you see a lot of guys who can do both really well and. Uh, the way uh, the coverage is designed, uh, I do think they're, you know, concerned about uh, outkicking the coverage and giving a guy. I think that would be number one thing they don't want to do is give you, a, uh, you know, a big return. So, and they've really been so good on uh, kickoff coverage against returns, uh, you know, recently that uh, that I think the stopping the return is more important than getting that extra yardage in their minds right now. But uh, but yeah, they you know, you like to see him uh, punting the ball from midfield. You don't like to see him punting the ball from inside his own twenty. And uh, <laughs> some of those, you know, things that work for the directional kicking, where you you kick it on a lower line drive, try to aim it and what have you. Uh, if you have to do that, you know, when the you know return guy doesn't have to worry about where he's catching it and really goes and gets it, uh, that can work against you. So. So I'm not sure. It's something we're thinking about, but uh, hopefully, we don't have to. You don't have to think too much about you know your punting game. But uh, uh, yeah, they're not going to get any of those 60-yard boomers. It doesn't look like now they might get one that you know they can kick away and in a rugby style and roll it, roll it uh, for 60. But uh, they're not getting the big uh, classic Ray guy, you know. You know, really, uh, that thing that turns over up at the top, you know, and uh, hangs, up, you know, hangs up for four seconds. That's just that's just not what they do. Uh, and what about the Hadari situation with uh, kick? I know. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, certainly, you look at the last two swings he took, and uh, well, 
about the very last two, but the the, the missed extra point and then the uh, field goal, 46 yards. And I know people on the board said, you know, that's a chip shot. That 46 yards, it's still 46 <laughs> yards. But he didn't hit the ball well uh, and missed to the right. And uh, you know he's not hitting the ball well when he hit, when he misses to the right. I don't know what happened there. It didn't sound right, didn't look right. And uh, you could just tell. You know, maybe it had a little bit of a shot to get over, but uh, that just didn't, you know, didn't look right. Now, I know he um, he identified the problem as, as his plant leg and the way he, uh, you know, it's like a golfer getting out. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't uh, keeping that leg straight and planting on it and, um, and with the weight transfer. And I don't know if that happened a little bit on that kick where it looks like when he comes through a little quicker, doesn't give himself enough time to to plant that leg and just completely have that free swing like a golfer would. Uh, it looks like he got a little bit ahead of himself, like a golfer who uh, who starts uh, you know pulling his head up to take a look and see where he hit the ball before he hits it. Um, that's, that looked a little bit uh, you know like what happened on that play. The play looked in general a little hurried. It didn't look like they quite felt like they had enough time to, you know, to set up and all that. Now the clock was stopped, but uh, for some reason they looked a little rust, and um, it just didn't look exactly, um, you know, like they just were totally in control of, of what was going on. So I don't know until we talked to Andre. I don't know if uh, there was more more going on there than not, but, um, yeah, those were two – uh, the two misses were, were really not good swings. And, you know, that's basically, you watch the NFL all day and you see nothing but good swings. And it's like guys hitting perfect putts. Um, and then you go and uh, if you see, especially, uh, you know, Andre missed the uh, hook, the uh, extra point, and then he misses the, uh, you know, did he over, did he adjust too much to missing the extra point? And then he misses to the right. Um, don't know, but uh, it's obviously something they're going to be looking at and talking about and thinking about this week. I mean, I'm not sure I'd worry about it. Maybe you tell yourself, uh, you know, let's uh, let's play a game where um, where we take the kicker out of the game. We just don't need the kicker, you know. That would be uh, ideal. I think if you're going against Stanford, you probably don't want to have a close game where it comes down to the kicker because uh, those Stanford games uh, – there will be Pac-12 officials. I guarantee you, there will be a crew. And if you're in a, st- a close game with Stanford, and they look up and decide where the uh, where this thing ought to end up, uh, it ain't going to end up in the favor of the, the team that keeps losing those close games against Stanford. So I think you got to probably think about hopefully taking the kicker out of the game. All right, uh, let's go we'll talk about injuries. Martin had a question. Uh, do you know what the status is for some of these players? I've not heard if these players are injured or just buried on the depth chart. He's talking about Gerald Bowman, Scott Starr, Cody Temple, Zach Banner, and Cyrus Hobby. Um, okay, that's fine. Cyrus Hobby, back is, you know, he's able to practice, but probably not game ready yet. And, and, and we'll see how that is. But he's kind of had an ongoing back issue. Uh, Cody Temple... He had a number of different things involving his feet and ankles that it just really, he's back and he's scout teaming it. 
never got quite back to being, um, uh, you know, a, a guy that completely, you know, would be a, in the rotation. Um, whether that's uh, strictly a physical thing, uh, you know, this year, or whether it's kind of a, you know, you know, I mean, obviously, if he could contribute, he'd be in the rotation. So you don't quite think he's uh, think he's there yet. I mean, he played at Oregon State at the end, but um, uh, he didn't. He didn't really play at uh, at Cal, though. I don't think where everyone got in. Yeah. So whether that, you know, he's obviously not 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 right. I mean, it, it, you know, he doesn't look like he's a hundred percent for sure, and he's out there practicing every day. Uh, but uh, but his, he's got you know some feet and ankle issues that it seemed to have, have, have bugged him forever. Uh, Zach Banner, uh, with the hip surgery, he's out completely this year. Uh, boom, boom, boom. Gerald Bowman and Scott Starr. Gerald Bowman, um, is, with his surgery, he's also out, you know, for the year. Uh, he, he probably qualified, you know, for a medical red shirt that lets him, uh, come back as a, he was his second year after transferring from junior college. So, and then, uh, we have the final one was oh boom. Scott Starr. Scott Starr is working his way back. He's yeah. gone from like 90% to probably 95% closest he's been, you know, in more than a year. And he's, uh, he's definitely in the, you know, in the rotation now. And, uh, and he, you'll see him, I think, uh, you know, fairly, uh, you know, obviously we've got two, two uh, big, big games. So how that works out, but he certainly – uh, worked his way into the rotation more in the last uh, couple of weeks, and uh, it's healthier. And now, you know, they're basically saying they think he's all the way healthy, but uh, it's just a matter of getting to learn the defense and getting, you know, the experience to, to be out there and paired up with uh, Jabari Ruffin. But uh, but he's uh, he's moving back in the right direction, and and we'll be uh, you'll be seeing more of him. Uh, we have one more injury question. This is a voicemail one. Here you go. Hey guys, Chris and Pedro. Just an observation. There's a lot of talk about the uh, number of injuries that Georgia and Florida and even Cal has had, and it seems like we've had as many injuries, and we're down ten scholarships, and we're not talking about it much. And and you know, I think that uh, Ed Orgeron's done a great job, and he certainly, uh, if they, he can even win one of the next three games and be competitive in the other two, I think he needs to be considered uh, to be a strong candidate. None of us are ever going to know who the right person is uh, until he's been here for four or five years, but. I think our fans are spoiled, and they're expecting too much. You look at how those teams are doing, Florida, Georgia, these other teams with injuries, and they have a full scholarship load uh, compared to us, and, and we're really doing, doing good. And it's really been a good year. It really has, uh, no matter how it ends up. So just just like to get your thought on, thoughts on it and whether you think that um, the right guy is the right guy uh, for the job, uh, no matter what happens against Stanford and UCLA. Uh, I'm already pretty satisfied with this season considering Thanks, guys. Love the show. Hey, uh, Chris. Uh, the interesting point I think you you raise is um, probably no team has done well under these kinds of NCAA sanctions. For number one, number two, very few teams do this well with these kinds of injuries. Number three, nobody has tried to do it with both the sanctions and this kind of injury uh, run, and so. That makes it pretty remarkable. I mean, uh, and USC has the benefit, actually. I mean, how many teams get to maybe give their new coach a trial run? I mean, 
You never know. I mean, uh, there are like two guys you could hire and say, without a doubt, not any question, this guy's going to come here and he's going to win. Now, whether he could get his way and do all the things it takes to win or whether he realizes, well, I can't do it. But if you hired, you know, Nick Saban, obviously, or Urban Meyer, you're probably going to be able to say, you know what, this is going to work. Other than that, now you're taking a, a little bit of a flyer. Now, with Ed, you're seeing him, in, you're seeing him work. For example, the injury situation. He's done a couple of things. He's given us significantly more information than Lane did so that it's not a big deal about are you hiding injuries, are, they da, 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 are you looking by saying guys are, you know, might be able to play, like they said, Barkley might be able to play in the sun ball having not thrown a single pass with his right hand for six weeks <laughs> or four weeks, whatever it was, uh, and having him, you know, being able to toss the ball left-handed, underhanded, and, you know, three days before the game and still saying he might play. No, that was stupid. Uh, but what Ed does is he tells you, this guy, you know, probable, questionable, you know, think he'd be back, maybe won't, looks, you know, long shot. And that's it. He said, that's all I'm saying. So he's telling you something, he's being honest and forthright, and yet he's not dwelling on it. We ended up with a situation at the end of the previous tenure where not only did we supposedly not talk about injuries, we used them as excuses. And people were focusing on them. You know, and it got, you know, that, that kind of thing gets back to the players. That's a, a rationale. I mean, one must wonder what would have happened had the previous tenure continued and you had a two-week run there with no healthy wide receivers or tight ends. One wonders what would that game plan have looked like. Looking back at the Washington State game plan, what would, they, what would that have happened? You know, I asked a former player, what did he think it would have would have happened those two weeks? And he said, off the record, forfeit. Um, <laughs> Ed hasn't done any of that. Ed has just said, we're going to play on, you know, fight on, just go. We're going to play with who we got. And that's just, uh, you know, been a wonderful, you know, breath of fresh air, to be honest. And what it's done for those kids and the way it's, uh, the way it's elevated, the way the, uh, the walk-ons consider themselves, you know, absolute full members of this team and the way this team considers them full members and the way these guys kind of support one another. I mean, you know, if there's a highlight from Saturday, it's, uh, you know, Silas Red on the trainer's table with a big ice pack on his knee congratulating Buck Allen, you know, for his uh, touchdown one, touchdown two, whatever. Uh it was remarkable watching Silas get the ice pack off and running up and down and, uh, and and leading cheers to the guys that are, you know, scoring touchdowns at his position after he's out of there. That's something we didn't see. And that's something that, that goes back to Ed. And that's, that's leadership. And uh, we're getting to see a whole lot of leadership. Now, you can, you know, denigrate the opponents or, oh, they lost a Notre Dame or da-da-da. There's a whole lot of good leadership going on. There's a lot of uh, good game planning going on. There's a lot of, uh, you know, the cooperation among the coaches, the responsibility that each of the coaches is taking for, you know, their position and 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 what they're doing to 
you know, get ready for the game, the, you know, the relationship they have with their players, um, the fact that, you know, we can argue over who was the, who's the guy in this game, who's the playmaker, there's so many of them, you don't know, you know, which way to turn. And that was, that's the kind of characteristic I thought of, of all the things that the T. Carroll's teams did, they had playmakers. They encouraged playmakers. They, they, they kind of taught the mentality of having playmakers step up and make plays. And that's what you're, that's what you're seeing here. You're seeing playmakers step up and make plays when they have to. Uh, that's a pretty good thing. You know, obviously it all has to play out. But, uh, you know, it's playing out, you know, in a, in a pretty decent fashion right now. And, uh, and, uh, and yet they, you know, they pay you to win games. So uh, that's also part of how this plays out. But, uh, you know, in, in so many ways, it's playing out as, as well as you could have possibly uh, hoped for it to play out. And it's playing out in a way that these, these players uh, just can't, and, you know, can't be more excited about the way it's going. I mean, just to watch them come on and off the field, to watch them. I mean, honestly, I'll say after the Cal game, it was the loudest rendition of the locker locker room fight on that I've ever heard. I mean, it was you could hear it out on the field, you could hear it in the tunnel, you could hear it. I've never, I've never heard it sung that loud. Uh, and that says something. I mean, that's a, and that's cow. You know, people were there. Oh, it's cow. <laughs> no, that's a good thing. To, if you can be that excited about playing against cow, that's really impressive. Uh, they weren't looking ahead to Stanford. They were looking to cow. That's that's good coaching. Uh, we got a few more to get to. We'll have to probably go through them fairly quickly. But uh, okay. w- one last injury one, Frank Perez from Orlando. Uh, we get a lot of uh, medical redshirt questions. He wants to know about Silas Red. Wow, Silas Red just went down. We don't even know if he's going to play again. Uh, and Morgan Breslin for, for medical redshirt. Well, uh, uh, Silas, no, I don't think so. No, he's already played. He because play- he's played, obviously. Yeah. I'm trying to add up numbers. He and might he, he uh, might still play the rest in the of the second season. half of the season. Yeah. So that eliminates him. If you play in the second half of the season, you have it. Uh, Morgan, it looks like the way the loopholes line up, he would be eligible if they go to a bowl game, which makes game 14, meaning that his last game that he played was game seven at Notre Dame. Uh, he would not have played in the last half of the season, and his injury came in the first third of the season. So – by those two uh, standards, he would he would qualify. He'd have to apply, and and you don't know you know how that would play out in terms of timing with regard to you know the combine, the NFL draft, uh, all that the workout day, all that kind of stuff. You really don't know uh, where that goes, but uh, that apparently he uh, he fits the criteria uh, for the uh, for. Uh, uh, you know, asking for a medical uh, hardship waiver. So, uh, so I don't know. Right. Ed, as I told Ed when I went over that with Ed, Ed said that'd be great. <laughs> and then it turns out, you know, that um, that the compliance guys have gone over that with um, with Morgan. Nobody, you know, knows. Uh, and, and a lot of that may may be determined on how the surgery goes. He he wouldn't be able to play in a, a bowl game. How the surgery goes, uh, and uh, what his rehab time is, and is he able to come back full go and go to the combine? Uh, would he be able to come back for pro day? All of those things, you know, are going to play into 
into that decision. So, uh, but you know, it's a possibility, I guess. All right. Uh, let's see. Kevin in South Orange County had a question. Uh, he says, uh, Dan, has the coaching staff had Cody Kessler study any of the tape of Drew Brees? I noticed when Drew Brees drops back and throws, he tilts his head up to get a better view over the offensive line. It appears he rarely has a pass batted down and has clear throwing lanes. Kevin in South Orange County. You know, actually, uh, one year in, in Chicago, I, I, I covered Purdue and, uh, and Drew and went to the Alamo Bowl. The thing that, that I think was so special about Drew, and they were like the first team, uh, Joe Tiller, who happened to be Kevin Sumlin's coach, actually. Uh, Joe, Joe Tiller did that basketball and grass deal uh, with Drew Brees. And the thing that was so special, though, about Drew Brees was his um, – he he could bound. He was more, I think, Johnny Manziel in that he could use his feet to get to places to throw to get a throwing lane. Uh, and you know, if he was six feet tall, <clears throat> he was lucky. But he was very athletic and and he could throw on the run and throw on the jump and and do all that kind of stuff. And I think yeah yeah he grew up and uh, went to a big time Texas uh, I think Austin high school that. Uh, you know, if you were a little guy, you, you had to learn probably to, to do things like that, you know, tilt your head up and all that. But I think a lot of that was his vision downfield. I think he just that head tilt was as much to, to you know, give him the vision downfield. But I think the secret with, with him, and, and I haven't talked to Cody about this, and it might be worth talking to, is that ability to find, as Johnny Manziel does, to find, the, you know, where the throwing lanes are. Uh, and not, you know, force the ball. Just take that extra little, little hop, that little sidestep, that little uh, bounce step where he was able, and he's able to throw and bounce off, uh, off the ground and use that to, uh, to elevate his throws a little bit. But, uh, but the more you see Cody, the more you do see him. You know, I think one of the things probably that hurt Cody was the extensive playbook and the extensive adjustments and the. Uh, maybe not uh, encouragement to change the play as it was designated, and Cody's, uh, you know, being very conscientious, wanted to execute it just the way it was on the Denny's menu. Uh, and um, so I think at times Cody probably tried to stay with the script maybe more than I would have liked to have seen him, but, but I think you're, you're seeing more of him having that ability uh, to improvise. I'll tell you what, I don't know if there's anybody in college football, I don't know if people say, oh, it's over the top, that throws a screen pass better than he does. I mean, a couple of those, uh, <clears throat> the one to uh, Silas and then the one to Buck, I mean, those are just, you know, really, really nicely done, and, and I mean, they were obviously perfect calls at the perfect time, but the ability to throw that, not give it away, throw it into a crowd, and, uh, and make it work. I think Cody is uh, is doing some you know some very good things. And and we almost taken him for granted. He was 17 of 21 at Oregon State, and he comes back with a 14 of 17 game against uh, you know against Cal. I mean, that what's that? 31 of uh, you know 37 or something like. I mean, that's just uh, 31 of 38. That's really pretty good. I mean, that's like uh, a liner uh, uh, quality accuracy. Uh, uh, you know. When you know at Liner's best, I mean that's a, that's amazing. You know, fourteen to seventeen is that's really good. I mean that's just like every pass is, 
you know, he got he got uh, jolted on one and thrown and got and thrown out of bounds. But uh, basically, uh, is hitting people in the numbers. He's hitting people in the hands, and uh, we're almost, I think, taking it for granted now. Uh, let's see a couple more. Steve in the Valley, uh, knowing Cal isn't very good, and watching Kevin uh, Kevin Graff lying on the field earlier in the third quarter, re-injuring his ankle. Why do you think he played? Why didn't they let him heal up like they did with Leonard Williams? I think uh, the key in the offensive line is they want to get those five guys in that, you know, as five guys playing those positions as much as possible. And so now you got the difficult, do you want to keep, you know, going back and forth? Uh, because uh, to, uh, you know, to replace Kevin, you basically move your left guard to right tackle, then you bring in a new left guard. So that's a couple of switches. Uh, and, you know, so, you know, they're caught in between. I mean, it was obvious. I think, Kevin, that was a really gutty performance. I thought uh, you could tell the ankle was still bothering him and still stiff uh, uh, in pregame, and he went out there, and, uh, you know, I thought that was a you know, terrifically, uh, you know, uh, strong, gutty performance by, uh, you know, by a three-year senior starter. And, uh, and so uh, uh, I think Ed decided – okay, we'll turn this into a, a benefit either way. And uh, last night he told us, he said, well, it shows us, you know, we can mix and match and, and we'll turn that into a positive, you know, too. That, uh, you know, if that happens, we've now got the ability, as we had at Oregon State, to go with the alternative five-man group with John Martinez in there and moving Turk over. And, and instead of having a sense of, okay, now we're throwing things up for grabs, uh, that we can handle it whichever way it goes. So uh, I think that was that was that was a good job of handling it. Should Kevin have come in after the second and, and started the second half, or should they have let him say, you know, half is good enough. Uh, you know, your your ankle may stiffen up a little bit here at halftime. Uh, why don't you sit out the second half? Uh, you know, those are the kind of hindsight you know calls that you could make. But uh, uh, you know, I, I can understand what they're doing and where they're going with it. And uh, he probably wasn't going to be in there much longer, but uh, you know, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to probably second guess them for uh, for how they've handled it this week. I, I thought, you know, it was a hard call. I think this week after how well the offensive line and the new configuration performed at Oregon State, but uh, but they made it work. Uh, they made it work against Cal, and you can say, oh, it's against Cal. But they still gave, uh, especially on the you know the sweeps and. And, uh, and and the stuff right up the right up the gut too, they uh, they really uh, had some seams and uh, and really you know uh, shut off the uh, corner, where uh, you know on the first play time they gave Buck the ball on that power sweep right uh, he uh, it was so open he tripped he you know he could tell he was looking down the whole field and thinking okay I can run this one in you know and uh, the next play he did run it in but. Uh, but you could just tell they were giving him the kind of running lanes where it gives Buck, with his vision and his speed, the ability to kind of set up the run and know, you know, where he can beat, uh, you know, the, the the linebacker in a in a corner where he can beat him to an open seam and then uh, and then take it down the field. So uh, a nice job, you know, again uh, by the offensive line. Uh, Tarek wrote in. I've become impressed with Ed Orgeron. But barring a sweep of UCLA and Stanford, it seems unlikely that Pat Hayden would give him the job. What do you think about Fresno State's Tim DeRuiter? Well, I really like him a lot. I think I like him personally. Uh, I like you know the fact that a guy like DeRuiter could come in right away 
and he could probably come in and keep almost all the USC coaching staff. And, uh, you know, you could kind of have, a, you know, maybe a shared situation uh, of some sort. I, I don't know that he would have the kind of ego where you'd have to have a, uh, uh, you know, you'd have to have, uh, oh, I'm bringing on all my staff and it's going to be my way and we're going to do it. No, I think uh, if you come in, you know, from, say, even an unbeaten Fresno team, you come into this USC team the way they're going right now, you would come in almost deferential to some extent or as a co, you know, coach uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, uh, so, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, against that that kind of a situation if you decide that going forward with uh, Ed Orgeron and the current staff for some reason isn't the thing you want to do. Uh, I think that would be actually a, you know, a fairly smart move. Uh, the guy who really gets L.A., you know, gets the high schools here, went to high school here, uh, you know, gets California, gets the West Coast. Uh, he's been other places, the uh, military background, you know, the Air Force and all that. You know, it adds up to a, you know, and the personality adds up to a, a pretty good alternative. Uh, but, again, before we, I think we get into specifics, uh, I just think we got to let this year play out. I mean, there's a lot coming up. You know, with you know, this is always the benefit of this schedule is you get Stanford, you get UCLA, you know, you get two of your three big rivals, you get them at home, you get them, you know, in the same, uh, you know, three-week period, and, you know, we'll know a whole lot more after that. So, uh, so I'd let it, I'd let it play out, but I, I don't have any kind of a negative, uh, you know, thought about, uh, you know, about Tim, you know, at all. Uh, then one last one. This is actually kind of for me, uh, Dan, but Dave in San Clemente, can you give us a brief history of uscfootball.com? When did it start? And uh, why did you choose to join the Rivals Network? I'm glad you did. I really like the Rivals platform and content. And uh, thanks, Dave. Yeah, I just, um, I think I've told it before, but the, I started really, it was kind of like an early blog in 96 where, I was working as an engineer, but I enjoyed writing, and I enjoyed college football and USC, so I wrote about them, and I bought the domain name for uscfootball.com in 97, and then Rivals, I joined Rivals in 2001, been with them uh, ever since, so it's been uh, it's been fun. I, I quit my engineering job in 2004 and, and focused on this full-time, and that's what I've been doing almost a decade now, so it's kind of it's kind of crazy, and Dan, Dan's been with us for years. He, he covered USC, like he said, now for 12 years, but... Uh, I think you were you had covered him for like seven or eight years before you joined with us, right, Dan? Actually, uh, I think it was this is probably my third uh, uh, going into the fourth year here, and uh, I guess nine, eight, nine years uh, Riverside, where oh, I, okay. I got to. I started out doing both USC and UCLA football. That was Pete's uh, second year. I remember going to the first practice the, the uh, day I was hired at Riverside, and. In, in July, a, a summer workout, and there was Carson Palmer running the offense and Troy Polamalu running the defense. And I remember telling people, how could this team be not really good? This had to be a pretty good team. <laughs> I was just like, wow, that was my first day. I still remember walking into Hard Jones and thinking, thank God, those guys are good. And uh, that's, how, that's how it turned out. It turned out they basically said, you don't really have to cover UCLA anymore. <laughs> just cover USC. You know, I get to cover UCLA basketball, but it was kind of the uh, the way we got started there. And um, actually, I, I I ran into some people who uh, 
who started the did the rivals uh, platform uh, uh, talking to people last week who actually set that up and are, I think they're still really proud of how you know the original rivals w- was set up and the work they did and uh, it's pretty neat uh, that they you know obviously you know we're real pleased uh, with uh, with it and, and those of us who deal with it every day uh, agree with you. All right. Well, thanks, thanks, Dan. Thanks for that question, Dave, and uh, everyone else. Hope you enjoyed our show this week, Peristyle Podcast, peristylepodcast.com, if you want to see some of the old episodes. And happy Veterans Day to everyone, and we'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 